What is up, SMers? Yo, I hope you are having a great week. Here on the podcast, we normally do the Sunday night messages, but we're going to do something a little bit different here for a little bit. Um, During the Sunday school hour, we are actually having a guest lecturer this month, the month of October 2019. His name is Andrew King. The dude is a absolute brain. His entire focus that he has put his life work into is just studying the Bible itself. Not just studying what's in the Bible, but more so what's even behind the Bible. So when you read the text, what actually are you reading? So we have a four-week conversation all about can I actually believe the Bible? How it was put together, how it was written, can science actually come and hurt the Bible, and all these different topics. Andrew will be exploring topics like these and so many other ones. So I hope you sit back, you enjoy the conversation, and we'll see you next week. Okay, so uh, my name is Andrew King. Uh, I'm a doctoral student at the University of Notre Dame. I study uh, theology. Well, it's under the branch of theology, but I don't do much theology. Uh, anyone know what theology is? Anyone take a guess what theology is? You're in church, so all of you should know what theology is. Like studying Different than that, yeah. So that could be religious studies. So when you study Islam or Buddhism, uh, Shintoism, different types of religions. What would be theology? Any takers? All right, who here is homeschooled? All right, what's theology? Okay, yeah, so th- study of the Bible, uh, maybe broader than that, it's also the study of doctrines about God, right? So when we say we study theology, what we mean to say is we study, we study God as best as we can. We try to understand him. We try to understand uh, what his uh, attributes are, the things that uh, are unique to him as a being. It's things like uh, omnipresence, that he's everywhere at once. Things like omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. Things like omnibenevolence, that he's all good. So that's, that's theology. So there are people who study just that, that just focus on those types of questions about theology. And there's a lot of other things that go into theology. I study biblical studies. So I'm interested in what? It's in the name. Bible. The Bible, yeah, I'm interested in the Bible. I'm interested in the thing you bring to church, uh, or you should bring to church, or the thing you access on your smartphones. Uh, to get the Bible. The Bible being made up of those books that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, delivered to the church once and for all, and made, uh, made important in our life for faith. So that's, that's what I study. So uh, the Bible, how did you get your Bible? How did you individually get your Bible? Think about it. For those of you who have a Bible. Who has a Bible? Let's ask that question. So, uh, who has a Bible here? Okay, how did you get your Bible? Amazon, okay, okay, the deliverer of the word, Amazon, all right. <laughs> how did you get your Bible? Um, my parents gave it to me. Okay, how old were you when your parents gave it to you? Like eight. Eight, okay. Okay, you have your name on it? Is it like mm-hmm. emblazoned, okay? Yes, ma'am. I asked my mom to her Bible when she was a kid, and I got like when I was five-ish. Five-ish. So you actually inherited your mother's Bible then. So how old would you say that Bible is? Okay, so your Bible's about 30 years old, so it's old enough to drive and vote. And, okay. Uh, who else wants to tell us a story about their Bible? 
now's a chance. You know, you probably haven't, as long as you've known each other, you've not been able to talk about your Bibles. Yes. You don't want to? You want to tell us about your Bible? Okay. All right. Don't put you on the spot. The oldest Bible I have in my house is only about three years old. Uh, my wife and I's apartment burned down when we lived at uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and with it went my Bibles as that I grew up with. I grew up in Awana, much like uh, some of you probably did, so I had my Bible I used all throughout Awana, and so it was blazed in the flame um, and gone forever. I have another Bible, though, so is that Bible different than the Bible I had? I would hope not, yeah. The translation's the same, both of them are the same translation. So that's actually what we'll talk about today, is, is that question of how do you know about your Bible, even though it's been around much longer than you have been around, more likely than not. Who wants to take a guess at how old Scripture is? How old is Scripture? Yeah. 3,000 Okay, how did you get to 3,000 years old? Okay, it's, it's a good guess. It's a good guess. You're right. Parts of it are that old. Yeah. Anyone else want to take a guess, hazard a guess? You think about it? You ever think about that question? You ever think about how old your Bible is? How old it was when it was like written? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the actual Bible? Bible? Yeah, yeah, the books of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I think, it, I think the oldest is about 3,500 years old. Okay. 3,500 for the oldest? And what would you put the newest in that kind of old versus new? So the oldest book being, we would say, probably like Genesis or some book of the first five. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the newest book being something in the New Testament. So put us into uh, a time timeline. I wasn't going to give a, a bigger timeline, but uh, I'll avoid doing that. So uh, as Randy yes, as Randy has told you, uh, 2,500 years old. So we'll say that that was, uh, or 3,500 years old. So 2,500 B.C. So that's okay. That's okay. There are people, um, part of that, Randy, do you know how you got that number, Randy? Is it 1500 BC, It's close enough. I mean, there are some people who would say that. Yeah, there's some people that would say these books are, there's certain books, especially Job, or some of the, some of the ones whose Hebrew looks older. Okay. So you all are familiar with the English language, right? So if you read the King James Bible, who's read the King James Bible? All right, does it talk like your teacher talks at school? No. Does your teacher say, thou may knowest? Uh, no, the, the language is different, and we also can read the Hebrew, and we can tell there's a difference in language as well. And so because of that difference, we can say this book's a little older than that book. Um, it depends on whom you talk to. There's some of the Psalms that people would say is incredibly old. There's some of the book of Job. Uh, the book of Job, some people would say is incredibly old. 2,500 is okay. That puts us before the time of Abraham, though. So Abraham lived at about 2100 B.C. Now I'm just giving you rough numbers because um, it's, it's, you can't get down to the month uh, with the dates of the, the, these people. So 2100 B.C. is the age of, Mo, of Abraham. And, you know, Abraham had two sons, and Ishmael and Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob had how many sons? Yeah, he had 12 sons. I think they had 13 sons, but... Uh, and then uh, the tribes come out of that. So eventually Joseph goes to Egypt. You all know that story, Joseph going into Egypt. And what happens when he gets to Egypt? What happens to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people? They become what? Yeah, they get enslaved. They get enslaved for uh, a little over 400 years or so. 
most people think Moses lived around the 1400s. So most people think Moses lived around the, around the date of 1400. Anyone know why we think 1400? There's actually two reasons why we think 1400. Another one is 1200, so there is a debate. Excellent, yeah. So in, Genesis, uh, in, in Exodus, rather, there are the mentioning of two cities. One is Pi and the other is Ramses. So these cities can help us date uh, that um, uh, life of Moses because it says when Moses was born, the Pharaoh said we're going to kill all the babies, and it mentioned these two cities. Uh, the problem, though, is those cities did not exist until the 1200s. So it could be Moses was born in the 1200s. It's also possible that that's been updated, which happens all the time, that names get updated. What's the old name for South Bend? What's that Native American name for this region? Okay, Mishawaka. So let's just say Mishawaka, oh, right? Oh, so the print, print, yeah, so maybe Potawatomi or something. I'm not sure what the, the Potawatomi Band of Mohegan called this area. But there was a name before it was called South Bend. And so at some point, this became known as South Bend. And so if you want to tell your kids about this area, you wouldn't refer to it as the Mohegan Band of Potawatomi or whatever the name was for the old name. You'd use the new name. So there's, there's all these types of issues. <clears throat> Most um, conservative scholars will say Moses was around 1400 B.C. because of his name. His name Moses is probably not Hebrew. It's probably Egyptian. Uh, the Egyptian word for water is mu. And so it's probably related to this idea of water being drawn out. Uh, think about the life of Moses, how much water is important to the life of Moses. Moses is found crying. He's angry. He's mad. He's found on the Nile River, water. Moses is uh, taken into, uh, when he leaves Egypt and he goes to uh, live in the, uh, oh, sorry, he goes and comes back and does the plagues. One of the first plagues is turning the water into blood, and when Moses is in the desert with the Israelites, he crosses over a body of water, and when Moses is in the desert and there's no water whatsoever, he hits a rock and out comes water, and they get thirsty again sometimes later, and he hits another rock and out comes water. The life of Moses is the life of water in a lot of ways, so it's important to recognize that his name fits an Egyptian context, and that actually gels with what we know about the story and life of Moses. So 1400 B.C. Let's just say Moses wrote then the first five books of the Bible around 1400. Again, the, most people put 1446 B.C. Um, so he wrote the first five books of the Bible. What are those first five books? What are the first five books of the Bible? I want to get someone on this side. I want to draw this side in. Go ahead. Good. So the first five books of the Bible are known as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And anyone else know the two names given to those sets of books? Not exactly. The, 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 for those five books do make up a big chunk of the Old Testament. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you could go that route. You could go that route. That's uh, what the book of Acts would maybe uh, at times refers to the, the book of the law, the book of Moses. Um, book of Moses being Deuteronomy, probably. Uh, who else wants to take a guess? This might be one of those words you learned in a Bible class at some point. It starts with a T. 
You want to try again? Torah, yeah. So Torah, so Torah. Torah is a Hebrew word that just means instruction. It just means instruction. That's all it means. It's come to mean law, though. We use it when we talk about the Torah. We talk about the law. And so the first five books of the Bible are collectively known as the Torah. But in another tradition, they're known as the Pentateuch. Pentateuch. Anyone know what that word means? What about that word penta? Penta. Five. So five and technically five books or five, five crafts. But we refer to them as the Pentateuch. So the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were written during the lifetime of Moses by Moses. Those books are known to people who read them as either the Torah, if you're Jewish, or uh, the Pentateuch, which is most, mostly how Protestants refer to the first five books, the Pentateuch. So what happens after that period then? Who knows what happens after Moses? So Moses goes up to Sinai, and God gives to him the Ten Commandments. And if your parents are super cool, they showed you the Charlton Heston version. Uh, and so he comes down with... The, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... What happens after that? Where do they go then? Who, who rises up? The Can yeah, so Satan, uh, probably Canaan, Canaanites with the fighting of the Canaanites, okay? Go ahead. Joshua, Joshua yeah, so you, you get into the period of Joshua and he conquers the land and um, that the Israelites then settle in that area and as you know, they live under a period of time of the judges. So then you have the book of the Judges. And so that gets written. When does that get written? Well, it gets written probably sometime after Moses. So we can go on and on, but here's what I want to try to talk about today with the time we have left. is um, the, the history of the Bible is very much the history of empires, and it's very much the history of language. So who knows what uh, language the Hebrew Bible is written in? Hebrew, yeah. And the Jews call it, we call it the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. Uh, my Jewish neighbors don't refer to it as the Old Testament. They refer to it as the Hebrew Bible. Uh, well, partly as the Hebrew Bible. They have another term for it, which I'll give you here. Um, they refer to it as the Hebrew Bible. I think I put it in my pocket. I did. Um, so the Hebrew Bible to them is called the Tanakh. And it's spelled different ways because it's actually a Hebrew acronym. The T stands for Torah. The N stands for the Nevaim, which is the word for prophets. And the KH, so it's KH, stands for the Ketuvim, which is the Hebrew word for the writings. So the Torah, Nevaim, Ketuvim, they come together, they take the T. They take the N, they take the K, and it makes this, this acrostic Tanakh. So if you really want to be super cool, super impressive, if you really want to show your parents you know what you're talking about, you can refer to the Old Testament as the Tanakh. Tanakh. Tank, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say tank. Uh, sorry, there should be another A here, you're right. The Hebrew, Hebrew doesn't have vowels. There's no vowels in Hebrew. So you add the vowels. So technically, the way they would spell it is just this, like that. And so you add English vowels to make sense of the word. Uh, so the Tanakh is what it is. So the Torah is the first five books we just mentioned. The Nevaim are the prophets. Who knows the prophet name? What's one of the prophets? 
Elijah, okay, so Elijah's a prophet, and he's found in what book? Go ahead. Parts of it, yeah. And say, uh, yeah, Second Kings, yeah. That'd be good. First, Second Kings. Um, you have people like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Hosea. Good. So these are your prophets. What about the Ketuvim? These, this is the Hebrew word for writings. What would this be, do you think? Think about your Old Testament. Think what's in your Old Testament. What else would that be? So this is the first five books. These are the prophets. This is not the prophets. So, yes, ma'am. So that would be under here. So that would be the Torah, the instructions, the law. Good, yeah, the Psalms would be a part of this. The Ketuvim, the Psalms would be a part of this. Proverbs would be a part of this. What else? Um, you got the table of contents out? Proverbs? Yeah, Proverbs would be in it, yeah. And so would Ecclesiastes. Uh, but also, yeah, Song of Solomon. But also the historical writings. So 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Samuel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all these other books would fall into this category, Ketuvim. It's written mostly in Hebrew, except for what else language? So the, whole, the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, is written in Hebrew in another language. Ready? Nope. Who wants to take a guess? I'm going to try to vary it up, but go ahead. Is it Latin? Nope. Latin's way late. Is it way late. Aramaic? Good. Yeah. Yeah. So... So the, the Bible, the Old Testament, is written in Hebrew... And it's written in Aramaic. Now, <clears throat> the Hebrew language is the native language of the Israelites. Uh, we know about it from as late as, early as the 1100s. Um, we know about it because there's actually a calendar found. So when people were kids in antiquity, and if you came from a well-to-do family who had money, you could become educated. A part of being educated is you would learn to read and write. You would write practice examples, much like you did in elementary school, of your alphabet and basic things like that. We have found a calendar from about the 1100s, so close to, I erased it, but close to the time of, say, Joshua and the judges. And this calendar is called the Gezer calendar, the Gezer calendar. Now, um, it's the oldest evidence we have of the Hebrew language in antiquity. The Bible here I have is a modern Hebrew Bible. It's known in academics as the Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia. And it's the authoritative Bible that the Jews will read, that the Christians will read who know Hebrew. I'll pass it around. You can take a look. There are past, uh, it looks like something spilled on it. I bought this when I was, uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I think it was maybe red wine or something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It looked, I only said it because it kind of got that. I bought this at a Goodwill. So keep your eyes out at Goodwill. You can find some cool stuff. If you, I bought it for 50 cents. It's worth about 50 bucks. So you can get lucky at stuff at Goodwill. I'll pass it around. So you can look at Hebrew, see what it looks like as it makes its rounds. Um, it's important, though. Here's why it's important. Because Jews did not historically speak Aramaic. I'll say it again. The Jews did not historically speak Aramaic. They spoke Hebrew. Hebrew is different than Aramaic. The difference between Aramaic and Hebrew is similar to the difference between, say, Spanish and Italian, or French and Spanish. It's similar in the sense that you would catch certain words, so who knows what the Spanish word for cat is? Gato, and what's the Italian word for cat? It's close. It's like gata or something like that. Yeah, so the G-A-T part, and even in English, the G becomes a C. And 
gato, cat. So it is similar to it in that way. Shh, listen up. So as the uh, language changed, what do you think caused that change from Hebrew to Aramaic? Who knows their Bible? Who really knows their Bible? This is a hard question. What would have happened? So let me, let me tell you, 99%, that's a rough number, it's probably close to like 98% uh, of, the, of this, what I'm passing around, is in Hebrew. There's really only a small sections of the Old Testament that are in Aramaic. Those sections are in Ezra and Achimia, which we, we separate and we call them Ezra and Nehemiah, but there originally was just one book called Ezra and Achimia. So there's portions of letters from a king, and who knows what king that is? Who here has read the book of Ezra? Okay, one, two, three, four. So the book of Ezra, uh, not, not the book of Esther, but the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra takes place after what event? By the way, you read Hebrew uh, right to left, so if you open it up like a normal book, you're actually opening it up backwards. So you have to open it up from the back, or back to the front. Um, go ahead. Okay, okay, so here we have it, we have it. Say it louder. Where were they returning from? From Babylon, and guess what language the Babylonians spoke? Aramaic. It just so happens that when you are people who get conquered, you take on the language of your conquerors. Think about the United States. Think about the United States, folks. The United States, we mostly speak English, but if you go down to New Orleans, what do they speak there? No. No. French. Yeah, they speak Cajun. They speak Cajun because that part of New Orleans, listen, shh, New Orleans and Florida area were originally owned by the French. And when the United States purchased them, so it's technically we didn't conquer them, when we purchased them from Napoleon, uh, we took them over and we said we're going to now influence you with our language. We influenced them and now when you go to New Orleans or even Baton Rouge, any of that area, they speak this really messed up version, actually messed up, I shouldn't say that. They speak this really unique version of English uh, that is a combination of French and English. The <coughs> similar thing kind of happened to the Hebrew people when they came back from where? When they came back from the big mighty city of Babylon, which is this huge city, who had a different culture than they had, a different way of living, they brought with them the Aramaic language, and because of that, you find Aramaic in the Bible. Where do you find it at? You find it in Ezra and Nehemiah. You find a little portions of it in Daniel. So Daniel in the lion's den is written in Aramaic. So the story of Daniel in the lion's den is written in Aramaic. All the, the stories of the, the beginning part of Daniel 2, all the way up from chapter 2 to verse se chapter 7, are written in Aramaic. Where else do you find Aramaic, now that we're on Aramaic? Who's read the Gospels recently? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 100% he spoke Aramaic. 100% he spoke Aramaic. Uh, how do we know that? How do we know Jesus spoke Aramaic, of all things? Why not, why not Hebrew? He probably spoke Hebrew as well, but... Why don't we get Hebrew words of Jesus in the Gospels? We only get Aramaic words. So anyone know an Aramaic word that they've seen in the Hebrew Bible, or seen in the Gospels, or seen in the writings of Paul? I, 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 I want to get a tattoo written, written in Aramaic, so I'd like study it a little bit. Okay. So like, I know like, I like write God, I think, in it a little bit. Okay, what is the Aramaic word for God? Oh, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> okay. Normally it's just L, E-L, but they do have another version like Allah, 
so similar to uh, Allah in, in Arabic. Um, similar to uh, uh, Hebrew does have a version of it too, the most high God, the God uh, El Elyon, uh, Elyon being high, most high God. Um, good. Here, here, here it goes. Um, when Jesus resurrects the little girl who's dead, what does he say? Anyone know? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever noticed it in the Gospels? Have you ever noticed when you read in the Gospels, it's all in English, so you understand it, and all of a sudden you get to a story, and it only happens you know, a handful of times, but you get to a story, and all of a sudden the writer says, and Jesus looked at the little girl, and he said, and it's just gibberish to you. It happens. Jesus said to the little girl, Tabalith kum, or kumi, if it's corrected into in, in proper Aramaic, which is Aramaic for little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. Um, that word, kumi, uh, kumi uh, appears all the time in the Bible. All the time. And if you ever read in the Hebrew Bible, if you ever read in the Old Testament where it says, arise and get up, <laughs> it's this word. It reoccurs over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, and when Jesus says to the little girl, tabalith kum, or kumi, to the little girl, get up, that is Aramaic. Another example is when Jesus in front confronts the man who's deaf. And the man's deaf, and what does Jesus say to the man? What? In English? Anyone know what he says in English? They translate this, and then they'll say, in Aramaic, this is law. He says, your ears be opened, or be opened, which in Aramaic, and they give you the Aramaic for it in the Gospel of Mark, it's ephephatha, which means open up, and then the man's ears opened up. So what is the point here? The point here is to impress upon all of you to understand that this is very significant in the history of our Bibles, this change from Hebrew to Aramaic. Why is it significant? Because that change from Hebrew to Aramaic will set the foundation or set the ground for the life of Jesus. Jesus will speak in Aramaic. The Gospels record, to, uh, record for us some of those words of Jesus in Aramaic. Uh, the Apostle Paul also spoke Aramaic. And you get a glimpse of Aramaic in, um, in his letter to 1 Corinthians when he says, Lord, come quickly. Anyone know what that is in Aramaic? This gets around. A lot of people know this one. Maranatha. Maranatha. Um, that, that occurs uh, quite a bit, too. Um, but something else happens. So you have the Hebrew language, which is the native language. It's 99% of your Old Testament. Aramaic came out because the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon and they took on a new language. This new language influenced only some of the small portions of the Hebrew Bible. And the Jews lived in a, lang in a world then that was bilingual, Hebrew and Aramaic. A lot of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you, know, you guys know the Dead Sea Scrolls? You've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? A group of scrolls that were found in the desert outside of, uh, or in, inside of Israel. Some of those scrolls are written in Aramaic. The problem, another problem happened though, uh, another person came into the world whose name was Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great, by the time he died in 323 BC, he brought with him the Greek culture all across the world. Everyone all across the world were confronted not only by his might, but also by his intelligence. He brought with him only two things uh, whenever he would go anywhere, and one of those things was the books of Homer. And they influenced the worldwide. 
And so as he made his way through Greece, you all know where Greece is, and he made his way through modern-day Turkey, down south into Israel, into Syria, into Egypt, into Babylon, and he would go on to conquer Babylon, all the way to India. And then they say, and Alexander weep because there was no world left to conquer. He died at 323, but when he died, he brought with him the Greek language. So guess what happens to this area of the world, Israel, modern-day Israel? Guess what happens? Do what? Yes, they go to the captor's language. Very good. Uh, Egypt does as well. The Egyptian language, which is one of the oldest languages in the world, also changes. They no longer write in hieroglyphics that you see on TV. They now write in the Greek alphabet in a language that comes to be known as Coptic. Lots of other languages underwent that as well. So what happened is, Hebrew to Aramaic, Alexander the Great shows up in 323 BC, and he brings with him his language. And when he does that, he influences the world to think like Greeks. So what happens when you have this book, which is in Hebrew and Aramaic, but you don't read Hebrew and Aramaic. You only read Greek. What needs to happen? Did you learn Hebrew and Aramaic? You learned English. You know English, right? So what would need to happen for you to access this? Not Aramaic. And only modern Hebrew you would need it translated into English. The same thing happened, and they translated this big book, they translated into this. This is this book that's written in Hebrew, translated into Greek. This is the Bible the Apostle Paul read. He would have known Hebrew and Aramaic, we know that. But when he wanted to talk to people who didn't know Hebrew and Aramaic, he used this Bible. This Bible was known as, in Latin, the Septuaginta. We call it just the Septuagint. It's abbreviated what? Anyone know? It's abbreviated with Roman numerals. Do you know? No? LXX, which is the abbreviation. You'll see it everywhere. stands for the number 70. Why does it stand for the number 70? Because, and this is where we'll, we'll probably have to end with the rise of the Greek Bible. Uh, it stands for the number 70 because there was a king of Egypt who was influenced by Alexander. He spoke Greek. And he said, I want to build a great library. And this library will come to be known as the Library of Alexandria. And he said, in this library, I want to put all the great wisdom of the world, wherever it's found. And so when people would come in on their ships and they would dock in the city of Alexandria, the first thing that would happen before the captain was allowed to disembark, the officials from the library would enter the ship, search it for any scrolls whatsoever, and when they would find them, they'd take the scrolls out, copy them at the Library of Alexandria and return them back to the shippers. Well, the king, whose name was Ptolemy, heard that the Jews had this very important book, uh, an important book that even uh, foretold of the coming of the Greeks because of the book of Daniel, right? You all know the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was believed that was told of the Greeks, told of the coming of the Greeks. In fact, as an aside, it's not in your Bible, but one of the early historians of the Jewish history named Josephus, who lived around the time of Jesus, wrote that Alexander the Great actually showed up at the doors of Jerusalem. And he was going to knock the city down, and the high priest came out. And the night before he was going to knock it down, and the high priest said, you are coming here and I have seen you in my dreams. I have known you are coming because... The great Lord who sees all has written about you. And he showed Alexander the Great where it was prophesied in the book of Daniel that he would come. 
And Alexander the Great said, well, I'm not going to mess with this. So he actually left the city of Jerusalem alone. Every other city around Jerusalem was destroyed. So the Greeks had an interest in translating this because of how important it was for, the, for their understanding of their place in history. And so they translated this. And the way the story goes is the king wanted the book translated. So they brought together over 70 scholars. So this all happened in about 150 B.C., so 150 years before Jesus. So about 160, 170 years before the Apostle Paul. They brought together 70 scholars. They put each scholar, it's like 74, 75 scholars. They put each one in, the, in a separate room. So a huge library, each one got a separate room. And they spent years translating this book from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. And then they came out at the end of four or five years, however long it took them. And when they came out, they compared notes. And as you would have it, the, the words matched up word for word, or so the story says. And so they became the legitimate Bible for that part of the world, the Septuagint. Um, it remained popular all the way till today. If you, anyone here, uh, there's a Greek Orthodox church here. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. I forget where it is. I've seen it. I passed it a few times. The Greek Orthodox, which is a version of Christianity, they actually read only that. They don't read this. So their Bibles aren't based on the Hebrew and Aramaic. Their Bibles are based on the translation of the Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. This is the Bible that the Apostle Paul would have referenced. Um, that's the Bible that the Gospel writers used to refer to. Um, very important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, that they have, a, you know, a pretty um, thorough collection of Hebrew and Aramaic to, con to translate it to the Greek. Yeah. What is this period called? Or what, how, you know, what would you... Uh, it depends on what you want uh, to reference it back to. Um, if you want to refer it back to biblical history, we call this period the intertestamental period. Um, if you're wanting to reference it back to political history, this would be called the uh, Hellenistic period. Uh, Hellenistic because the Greek word for Greek is Helen uh, or Helene, and so it becomes Hellenistic when it's an adjective. So it's the Greek period when all the cultures around the world will try to become more like Greek. Um, <clears throat> if you wanted to reference it to Egyptian history, it's the Ptolemaic period because that's the dynasty that lived in Egypt during that time. Um, Early Christians referred to it just as, uh, uh, I, I mean, they would just refer to it as the Hellenistic period, too, where everyone was thinking and acting like they were Greek. And this is, what would you say, 150 B.C.? Yeah. So between that period and, I don't know, like a first English Bible, Tyndale or yeah, yeah. someone, what, 13th, 14th century? I don't, I don't even, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, so... so The Greek Bible was, yeah, they, we'll get to it in week four when we talk about what books go into the Bible, but uh, yeah, the Greek Bible remained the same. It didn't have the, um, it didn't undergo too many significant changes because it was already translated, and, there, and there's, it's more complicated than that, but to answer the question, uh, subtle, small changes, but nothing major. What does happen, to kind of preview what does happen, um, 
that Bible remains the important Bible for most of the world. Uh, at, in the uh, 300s, Jerome, or late 200s, Jerome will translate that into this, the Vulgata, the Vulgate, the Latin Bible. Uh, and we'll talk more about that, talk about some of the distinctives. Um, there, is, there is one thing that I want to talk about. I have three minutes. Well, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'll ask, answer any questions you might have. Uh, so I, I, I can speak modern Hebrew. It's not the same as biblical Hebrew. Um, Greek, no. I mean, no one really speaks Greek. Latin, no one, even Catholics don't speak Latin anymore. I think the last generation was about 30, 40 years ago who were educated and trained in Latin. One of the professors at Notre Dame who's old as Moses uh, was trained in Latin. And so he speaks Latin fluently. He took all his classes in Latin. And uh, now they teach all the classes in Italian at the Pontifical Institute of Rome. Any other questions? I know this is a lot, but here's what you need to take away from today. You need to take away the following things as we talk about, is the Bible reliable? The Bible was the Hebrew Bible, known as the Tanakh, or the, Hebrew, or the Old Testament to us, was originally written in Hebrew. There's some small portions, very small, Ezra and Nehemiah and the book of Daniel, and one, chap one verse in the book of Jeremiah that are written in Aramaic. This Aramaic will come to be the language Jesus speaks, and you also find remnants of it in the Gospels and in Paul's writings, just random words and phrases. The New Testament will be written in Greek. Why is it written in Greek and not Hebrew, even though it's a Jewish book? It's written in Greek because Alexander the Great showed up, and by 323 B.C., everyone who was anyone was thinking and writing and translating into Greek. That then becomes the language your New Testament is written in. So today we talk about the rise, the, we talk about Hebrew, the rise of Aramaic, the rise of Greek. Uh, then we'll, next Sunday we'll talk about the rise of the Vulgate and then the translations of Tyndale. And then we'll talk about very specific information. This is just a real big overview. Okay, any other questions? Well, I mean, if you could speak in modern what language do you speak in? Just English. English yeah. Okay. English, yep. Nope. So the, the LXX, the Septuagint, is only the translation of this. So it only contains the Old Testament. Yeah. It's very important, though, that if you will take away anything, that's the single most important thing for you to take away from today's class, is that the LXX, known as the Septuagint, is the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. Translation because it was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Great class. Thank you.